Please remain standing and take your Bible and turn to Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah 13. Thank you, Jonathan and uh, the band for leading us in this time of worship today. Nehemiah 13, uh, you see it up there, verses uh, 15 through 22. I'm going to read the, the text, all of it, that we'll be going through today and uh, ask you to remember the, uh, the sections. The outline is in front of you, and we will be referring to that. I'll catch you up on the context uh, in just a moment, but we need to get the Word in our hearts and uh, then begin to, to walk through that. Nehemiah 13, beginning... In verse 15, in those days, I saw Judah, in Judah, people treading winepresses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods. I'm getting hungry just reading this. And sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you're doing? Profaning the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers act in this way, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, They did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Father, we are gathered together today on this Lord's Day to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you that we have already had the opportunity, many of us, to gather together in smaller groups to open your word, to allow your Holy Spirit to to, to apply it and to speak into our lives, not only for us individually, but for our families and for our church and uh, just in those concentric circles outward. Thank you, Lord, for that, and thank you that we've had a chance right now to sing praises to you, to sing your word back to you, to, um, to read your word. Lord, that is so important. And now to listen as your word is taught and expounded, I pray that uh, even though at times I, 
I feel so weak and feeble in, in terms of handling your precious word. I pray that your word, again, by the power of your spirit, would make its way into our hearts and would produce much fruit. Thank you, Lord, for this chance to study now about uh, Nehemiah's reforms among the people, and hopefully it will speak to our hearts as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I've done many, many weddings through the years. One of the things that I always come to, and, and it's been in one way or another, maybe not the exact words, but something like this when we come to the commitment of the man and the woman in the wedding pledge, and I will ask each of them this question, do you promise to love, honor, and cherish him or her, and that and this is a very important part of this, forsaking all others, all others for him alone, you will keep yourself for him as long as you both shall live. And always in that context, never once have I had a man or a woman to fail to say, I will. Now, let, let's remind ourselves of something in a simple statement of a, of a marriage vow. This is relational. It is covenantal. It's not just a contract. And shouldn't that be a picture of our life in Jesus Christ? When we are saved, and I like that word, sometimes people will say, oh, that's a that's an old-fashioned word. It is a biblical word. When we are saved, we're not just saved from something, but we are saved for someone. Someone to follow. And we could insert that marriage vow into the reality of what you and I, young or old, individually in our families and together in this church are are supposed to live out forsaking all others for Him alone. And we are reminded in the Scripture over and over and over again. And then last week, if you'll remember last week, I talked to you about having constant vigilance. We need constant vigilance in order to carry that out forsaking all others for Christ alone. I'm reminded that the writer of the Proverbs says this, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow, flows the spring of life. And then in Proverbs 6, verses 4 and 5, and, and I like this, it's, an, it's another picture of keeping on the alert. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. And over and over and over again, we see examples of it in the local church. We see examples of it. We've seen it through the years in, in the church 
not only in our own area, but around the world this last week. It, you know, I say it like this, shocked but never surprised, okay? Really, these kinds of things should not surprise us, but they, they should shock us. We should never lose that sense of being shocked. This last week, uh, uh, it was an, an actual video from a very prominent young pastor. If I mentioned his name, you would know it. I, I'm not afraid to mention his name. I just won't because he, he said some things in a confession before his people. He said that he was stepping down, at least temporarily, to look at and to adjust, and this is the way he put it, some things in myself that show unhealth. When I heard that, and many of you have heard it and you've read it and all of the the, the tweets, and everybody's going wild trying to, to suppose what happened, uh, really, and that kind of thing. But, but he admitted to a degree of unhealth, whatever that is. And I, wrote, I read the transcript, and I, I circled that word, and I put out the word sin, question mark. I, I don't know. But he said that he had been involved in a, in a, direct message, DM, is that what that stands for? Uh, on, on Instagram, I guess it is. Uh, I, I'm not on that, so I may get the terms wrong, but you, you hear what I'm talking about. He had been involved in, in we don't know how long, but uh, uh, an ongoing online relationship with a woman who was not his wife. Now, all kinds of things come to mind when you, you hear that, uh, he said his wife knew and the woman's husband knew. I really scratched my head at that. I, I just have to be honest. I, I scratched my head at that. But here is what he said. And this, right, wrong, or indifferent, and obviously the elders of his church felt like it was wrong. They said the frequency and the familiarity of that relationship was unhealthy, and that's why they asked him to step down. You don't do that unless something is wrong. But the words that really grabbed me, that he said, and he said this, I was, hear me, I was unguarded, and I was unwise. Exactly what we were reading in the Proverbs a minute ago. Again, young, really young, older, really old, Ed. You simply, if you are going to forsake all others for Christ alone, you cannot for a second, not be on guard. Are you hearing me? And so that's where we are in the last chapter of Nehemiah. How about that? We've come all the way through uh, Ezra, Esther, and now at the last part of Nehemiah, chapter 13, we're in the second part of chapter 13, where back in chapter 10, the people of God 
had, had said, we're going to commit to do these things. And several years later, it was after Nehemiah, the leader, had left. And now he comes back and he finds that everything that Israel said, we will do. We'll make a covenant and we will do these things, every one of those things they had gone back on. A marvelous time of rededication, of real revival, I believe, dedicating themselves to follow Jehovah. And several years pass, and like last week we discovered Tobiah, the arch enemy of the Jews, is living in the temple. And now we find that they are violating, they're profaning the Sabbath day. And that didn't just happen overnight. John MacArthur has said, no one just falls out of a tree. My guess it came through those little looks. And then a look becomes a lingering thought, or maybe a conversation, and then it begins to have a, a lingering effect. And pretty soon, even if a person doesn't realize it's wrong, you fall into those kinds of things. And so Tobiah was living in the temple. Nehemiah ran him out. You remember that last week. And then the Sabbath is being profaned. Here's, a, here's another New Testament statement of this. John 2, 16a and then 17, we skip the middle part, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. But this is important. Don't love the world or the things in the world. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So those are two things. Now, now listen to me. Every day, every day following Jesus means that you and I are going to have the choice between these two things. In one way or the other, we're either going to love the world or the things of the world, or we're going to love and seek to follow Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, obviously. We're, we're not talking about in the flesh. But either one of those two choices are going to have to be made. If you and I were created to enjoy God, and we are, glorify God and enjoy Him forever, first and foremost, and then we're going to have to be able to put these things into their proper order. We definitely will not glorify God if we're not putting Him as the number one priority in our life. So let's look at the outline. We're going to run through these and figure out what is all of this stuff about the Sabbath. Wow, there are a lot of different opinions, even in this room, about what is meant by the Sabbath day. Why was this a big deal by then? Is it a big deal today? Should it be a big deal today? So I, I'm going to try. We talked about the Sabbath several weeks ago, but once again, we're going to go through it, maybe with a few little different twists and, and insights so that we can see what is happening here. God's people, this is them, and it's very clear. God's people were profaning. That's a huge word. They were profaning the Sabbath by working instead of resting. And I read that a few minutes ago. What's wrong? What's wrong with stomping grapes? What's wrong with loading grain or wine or figs and all kinds of great food? I was reading through that last week and I was thinking, oh man, I, I'm going to go down to Long John Silver's and get 
some fish and chips. You know, the Tyrians are selling their fish, oh, but not on Saturday. None of these things in and of themselves are wrong, okay? So what was the problem and why? It says very clearly they were profaning, they were, in other words, treating as irrelevant God's command. Let's go all the way back to the fourth commandment. We're going to go to the book of Exodus to, to this, this is a long commandment, one of the longest, it's the longest. And so we're going to see what God said about that and then try to, to, to figure out what's going on here, not only for them, but also for us. So here is the fourth commandment given to the nation of Israel. Remember the Sabbath day. Now, right up front, and I'll be saying this over and over again, what is the Sabbath day? Is that a technical term? It's a numerical term. The Sabbath day is the seventh day, and we're going to see that throughout these scriptures. The Sabbath day, according to our calculation, is always, always Saturday. That is the seventh day upon which God rested. Remember the Sabbath day, Saturday, to keep it holy. Were you doing that yesterday? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It could not be any clearer than that. Don't violate it. Now, he goes on in this commandment. On it you shall do no work. Well, what's work? And we're always looking for loopholes in all of the commands, aren't we? And certainly in this one would be the case. You're to do no work, you or your son or your daughter. As long as they are at home under your charge, they are to do no work. What is that? What, what is work? Or your male servant or your female servant. If you've got employees, they're not to work on Saturday, on the Sabbath. See, Chick-fil-A is closed today much to the chagrin of a lot of kids in here. But I'll guarantee there were some kids and adults at Chick-fil-A yesterday. Your livestock, your pets can't even work, okay? Or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, this is very, very specific, and it goes back to the creation ordinance. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath equal to seventh day, and he made it holy. Now, let me just stop. Do all of you believe this? Does anyone believe this? Okay. No response on either one of those. Of course, you, you believe that's true because it's in the Word. Now, let's, let's move on because we want to see how that figures into... We, I'm just going to say it like this and we're going to come back to it. If this is true, if this is the fourth commandment 
And like the other commandments is always true, and there's no loophole, there's no wiggle room. I'll just say it like this up front, we've got a problem. So is there something else going on here that maybe the Word of God gives us insight into? And the answer is yes, in Exodus chapter 31. And here he is speaking to the nation of Israel specifically. And he says these words. Listen to this. Above all, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For those who say, oh, that that means the festivals and all the rest. There were Sabbath festivals, but it includes all of them, including the seventh day. For this is a sign, look at this, between me and me. And you, Israel, throughout your generations as a covenant forever that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. It is a, he repeats it, a sign forever throughout your generations. Obviously, we know it's not going to extend into eternity. Between me and the people of Israel that in six He goes back to creation. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. It it, it was a very specific day, the Sabbath day, Saturday, in which God wanted them to rest and not work. We also see from chapter 31 of Exodus that it was a very specific and special sign of the covenant that God had made with Israel. And to violate this particular covenant sign, Nehemiah says, was a great evil and a profaning not only of the day, but because this was a covenant sign, it was a profaning of the entire covenant. But why? Why? The heart problem seems to be that Israel had started to find her ultimate satisfaction in the things God created rather than in God himself. What did I start out saying that that was a picture of what we're talking about today? Forsaking all others for him alone. It's pretty obvious from what Nehemiah is saying in chapter 13 that materialism, what, what John would call later the, the lust of the eyes trumped their desire to be satisfied or to rest or to trust in God. And that was simply justifying themselves, the first step in their defecting away from God. And that's why... Small defections, the things that we do that move away from God are are not just little things. 
They show a lack of fear for the Lord God, and they show foolishness toward the things of God. I hope you're tracking. Let's move on to the second thing because I hope that things will become a little bit more clear as we talk about this. Let's look at the seriousness of violating the Sabbath day of rest. I've already established for you, okay, I hope, that Saturday is the Sabbath day. According to the command of God that was given to the people of God as a special covenant sign, the violation of that day was, listen to me, deadly serious. And I'll show you why from the Scripture. Observing the no-work rule on Saturday or the Sabbath was non-negotiable. It was a deadly sin. By the way, we just talked about this, didn't we, in, in our memory verse? What are the wages of sin? Is every sin deadly? Absolutely. So the wages of sin is death. Exodus 31, 14b, says this, or 14 and 15, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you and holy to the Lord, we find that. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Now, again, I hope you're following me because the seriousness of this cannot be overstated. God took it very, very seriously. There were no loopholes. In fact, if you are a strict Sabbatarian, there are no loopholes today. This sign of the covenant, you saw it twice, was to last forever, at least through all the generations of the Jewish people. Now, here's, here's, a, here's a question. When you see something like this in Scripture, one of the things that you want to know, and there are some, some statements like this that feel, that sound to us as New Testament believers over the top. One of the questions is, was this ever carried out? in the Old Testament, where that the person who breaks the Sabbath, who does work on the Sabbath, was it ever carried out that they would be put to death? The answer is yes. In Numbers chapter 15, we find this story, and it's a picture of how seriously the violation, the profaning of this commandment was taken. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Oh my goodness, we have no idea why that guy was gathering sticks. Was he just walking along and he saw a stick and said, man, that's a, that's a great stick. Sticks are one of the best toys. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that for my kids. And then he found, oh, man, there's another stick. That's an even better stick. Well, I don't know that that was the case. Casual might have been that he was hungry. And he didn't want to eat that manna uncooked. And so he was gathering sticks for the fire to cook his food. It could have been that he, he was cold. He was just trying to generate a little bit of heat. It really doesn't, listen, it doesn't say whether it was intentional or unintentional. unintentional. It just says that he was gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. 
And so they got him. This is compressed now. They got him. They took him to Moses because they thought, "Uh uh-oh, here's a problem. What are we going to do with the guy? Moses went to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp, and all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. Does God ever do anything wrong? The violation listed here in the book of Nehemiah, the people of God, the reason he confronted it so vigorously was because of the history of Israel profaning the Sabbath and getting themselves tossed into all kinds of problems with the enemies of God. And so in answer to the question, is profaning the Sabbath day, Saturday, a very serious violation against God? And the answer is yes. Let's go on to the third thing. Wow. Nehemiah's response to the Sabbath breakers. Again, it was vigorous. He shut the whole thing down as soon as he became aware of it. He did it for God's glory and he did it for the good of the people because he knew what was going to happen to the people. He told them exactly what the problem was and how they needed to remember what God had done in the past. Here is part of that remembrance. Thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives. Don't bear a burden on the Sabbath, even a stick. Bring it to the gates of Jerusalem. If you don't listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the place, palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. And Nehemiah had seen that happen. He, he was reminding them. First of all, you've lost your fear of God. Then you've forgotten the penalty that goes with this, and he's trying to lovingly but firmly remind them. And he did everything he could. He not only hindered the people from coming in and shut the gates, he was ready to run off the people from outside the gates if they were going to stay. In other words, he did what he could to help stop the opportunity for them to sin. And then he went even further And he had the leaders to purify themselves and refocus on their job of protecting the people. So what in the world does Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 15 through 22 have to do with you? What does it have to do with the people of Heritage Baptist Church? What does it have to do with the people of God, the covenant people of God? I'm going to share with you. Again, there there, there are great people all over this nation, all over this world 
who have different views of what the Sabbath means and how to apply that and all the rest. So I'm going to share with you from what I have studied in the Scriptures and offer it to you is what I believe is the best biblical explanation. Uh, I'm not puffing myself up. I know I'm going against some very, very good theologians who are a lot smarter than I am. But at the same time, when we look at the Scriptures and deal with them, I believe that these things are not only accurate, but the most helpful for the people of God. So, let's look at it. The Sabbath rest for the believer today. What's your takeaway? What's our takeaway? I alluded to this a minute ago. If you are a strict, I'm going to use a word, if you're a strict Sabbatarian, okay, by that I mean you believe in observing the Sabbath. You're going to do that in one of two ways. You're going to observe it on the day in which God intended the Sabbath to be understood, and that's on a Saturday. And by the way, we have some dear brothers and sisters uh, and, and others who would be a little bit further afield, a Seventh-day Adventist, not sure about all their theology, but have you ever heard of a group called Seventh-day Baptist? Yeah, they're very, very sincere. So they are a strict Saturday Sabbatarian. I don't want to throw you with that word. But if there's someone here today who is a strict Saturday Sabbatarian, then your day of rest was yesterday, and today you are here worshiping freely. All right? And hopefully, if you take the fourth commandment and the other commands that I've, I've explained it with, if you hold that literally, then I hope you did not violate your day of rest yesterday. I hope you didn't pick up a stick. Seriously. I hope you didn't drive a car. Hope you didn't go to the restaurant. I hope that even within your house you had prepared a meal from the day before so you didn't have to go and put it in the oven and heat it. These are things, and, and, and you might say, well, now, wait a minute, it doesn't really say that. And that's where being a strict Sabbatarian today on the Saturday or whichever day you choose is a real problem with even those who say they believe that. Now, I'll say this to those of you who are here. If you are a Sunday Sabbatarian, boy, I hope I haven't lost you here. Sabbatarian, you believe, Exodus chapter 20, that the law, that fourth law, is the, the details of it are for today. If you are a strict Sunday Sabbatarian, you've got a real problem. And even if you go home from a day and you, you came and, and, and you, you, you restrict certain activities, I'm afraid that you're going to find yourself profaning the Sabbath and what Nehemiah calls a great evil will ensue. 
Some will point to a verse like this, Romans 14, 5. A person, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. What was Paul talking about there? You go back in another context, I believe what Paul was talking about there was the Sabbath day. Because the, the direct specific command to obey the Sabbath, that is a Saturday, is not found in the New Testament. And so there apparently were some arguments going on. Well, I, I think we, we ought to do this on Saturday. I think you ought to do this on Sunday. He's saying the day is not really that significant. Let each one be thoroughly convinced in his own mind. Now, the reason that I know that this is different for the fourth commandment is there would be no other commandment that he's going to say this about. He's not going to say to you as a Christian, one of you believes that you shouldn't murder. The other believes that you can murder sometimes. Let each one be convinced in his own mind. One of you believes that you shouldn't lie. The other believes that, well, you can lie some. If it's a little white lie, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. You see how ridiculous that is. He would not say that about something that has not in some way been changed for the New Testament follower of Christ. And it has been changed. Very important story as we begin to look and answer the question, what does this mean for the New Testament believer? Look what Jesus did in this story. One Sabbath day, that was on a Saturday, he was going through the grain fields. And as they, his disciples were with him, made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, picking up sticks. This was against the law, Okay. So are his disciples innocent or are they guilty of profaning the Sabbath? The religious leaders, the Pharisees, thought they were guilty of it, and rightly so according to the strict interpretation of the law. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus declares his disciples innocent. Have you not read what David did? When he was in need and it was hungry, he and those with him, he entered the house of God at the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the, but the priest to eat, and also gave to those who were with him. And then he made the most extraordinary claim. Guys, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. And then he went on to say, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. His argument in saying that was something that Paul would say later on in Colossians chapter 2. Because there was always this tension between the, the church, the New Testament church, and the Judaizers trying them to live under the law. And he said that to the Colossians church, and he says it to us. Therefore, 
let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, and he's going to list some things, or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. Some have said, oh, that refers to only the festivals. You just can't exegete it that way. It's a Sabbath, any Sabbath. These Now watch, this is why it's so important that that commandment given to Israel as a special sign fulfilled because it was a shadow. These things are shadows of the things to come, but the reality, the the substance belongs to Christ. Hebrews 4, one of the most profound books in the entire New Testament, one that is wordy and challenging to get through, but in Hebrews chapter 4, the author is going to piggyback on the statement of the Apostle Paul about shadows and types. There are certain things in the Old Testament that pointed forward, and here's one of them. Israel was constantly trying to win their approval before God. But they really disobeyed God. And so when Jesus came, we have the opportunity to go into a fullness of rest because Jesus has rested from his work on the cross and his sacrifice was and is sufficient for all. So then there remains, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever, listen to this, has entered God's rest has also rested for, from his works as God did from his, referring back to the Sabbath. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same kind of of disobedience. You see, the sad story of Israel was as they wandered in, in, the, in the wilderness of 40 years, they never entered the rest of the promised land. And that rest was to foreshadow God's rest in Jesus Christ. In other words, the salvation that God through Christ offers to us all. That's why Jesus said it like this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so we look at a passage like Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 15 through 22 very real in their historical context, but also something that points forward to the reality of our rest found in salvation by believing in Jesus Christ. So that our rest is not just one day a week, but it's every minute of every day. And when we come together on the Lord's Day, which is today, this is not the Christian Sabbath. This is the Lord's Day. 
that we meet, we gather together to worship, to be fed, and to minister to one another. Now, with all of that said, is there still a place for the things that we do on a day of our choosing? We don't have to meet on Sunday morning at 10.30. We don't have to meet Wednesday night at 6.30. Those are all times that we've chosen to meet. But do they somehow represent something that God, listen, that God has woven into? And I like several of the quotes that are over there on, on the left. Don't read those yet. Don't read those yet. Read them when, when you go home. We're almost finished But could God have woven something into the rhythm of our lives by talking about resting from labor? Studies show that if you work and burn the candles at both the candle at both ends and you have no rest, you are not going to be as productive. Studies, secular studies show this, as those who take time for creative rest. And so, the, the first part of that, I believe with all of my heart, that what I've preached to you today is that the Sabbath day rest has found its fulfillment as a shadow in the substance of Jesus Christ. I do believe that you and I ought to observe regular rhythms, seasons, whatever you want to call them, of rest. Let me me give you one. I'll just give you a personal example. I believe that, well, every minute of every day should be a a picture of Sabbath rest because you're resting not in your own works but in the finished work of Jesus Christ for your salvation. But every morning when I wake up and I go into the other room and I get my Bible and I get my prayer list and I read God's Word and I pray, That is a Sabbath for me. When Jan gets up and we walk around the block, we talk, that's a Sabbath rest for me. And then when we come together on Sunday morning, whether it's teaching, by the way, this is a day of work for me. It starts early and ends usually late. But is a Sabbath for me because I am resting in what God has given in the people of God to come together and sing His praises and to worship Him and to meet together in a small group Bible study and just walk through the Word of God. In other words, just as Kevin DeYoung says, I believe that the concept, the principle of Sabbath is a beautiful gift that believers should not overlook. And if for nothing else, it's an opportunity to say, thank you, thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that today you 
first have found your rest in Christ. You've ceased from your labors, that is, working for your salvation. And you've come to a place where you've realized, whoa, I am a Sabbath breaker, I am a law breaker, and I need the one who has kept the law so that he can be my substitute, so I can turn away from self-effort, playing God, fighting God, and I can turn by faith to Jesus Christ and find my rest in him. If you have not done that, then today, if you hear his voice, is the day of salvation. I'll be here. Jim is here. We've got others here who would love the opportunity to visit with you about what that means to find your rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those of us who know him, I hope that today will be at least in part an expression of the Sabbath rest that you have found in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Uh, thank you for how your word speaks to us, even in these stories that many would find archaic, out of date, and yet, Lord, they speak of modern-day realities in such clear ways. I pray that as a result of today, there would be those who might turn to Jesus Christ from the futility of self-effort the futility of finding their meaning in other things than Christ and would turn today to Christ alone, forsaking all others for him alone. And today would be the day of salvation. And I pray for those of us who know you, that we would, out of our rest in Christ, find a rhythm of rest in you. Sunday, Wednesday, every day every minute of every day. And so we thank you, Lord. Help us as we respond to you and then go from this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.